What's going on, everybody? How we doing? Everybody doing good? It's good to see you guys. Do you like who you're sitting next to tonight? If you don't, there's time to get up and switch. It'd be kind of rude, but you can do that if you want to. No, why don't you look at your neighbor, give them a hug of five seconds or longer. If you know them, greet them with a brotherly kiss. Don't do that. We'll kick you out. We'll have security do that. Guys, I'm excited for tonight. Um, I'm excited. I'm expectant for what God's going to do. I feel like expectancy has kind of been like a buzzword here at Young Adults over the past 24 hours. And um, one thing, just as a preacher, and maybe it's just where I'm from or whatever, uh, when a crowd is expectant to hear from God, sometimes they, they respond. And I'm not saying if that's out of your comfort zone, don't feel like you have to respond. But if you feel so inclined to say amen or just whatever, let me know you're tracking with me. Please feel free to participate. Um, do we have any new people? people in the house tonight. Anybody's first time? Awesome. We just want to say welcome. We hope you feel like an honored guest. We hope this feels like home to you. And so we love you so much. Thank you for coming and checking us out. We are actually going to read the Bible right away. Is that okay? Is that all right to read the Bible within the first like two minutes of the sermon? And all we're really going to do is set the tone for the night, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to kind of jump in, okay? So if you have a Bible, uh, would you pull it out real quick? It's not going to be on the screens. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. How many real Christians have this whole chapter memorized? None. Awesome. No, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, and we're going to read two verses in there. If you have a, a Bible, uh, leather, pages, lift it up. Do you have a, if you bring your Bible to church, if you see somebody with a phone, can you give them a judgmental Christian glance? I'm kidding. We all have it transcribed on our hearts, right? So it doesn't matter. Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1 and verse 6. Verse 1 says this, now faith is the assurance of the things that we hope for. Uh, some translations say substance. But faith is the assurance of things we've hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. And we're going to jump down to verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We come expectant tonight. We come believing and asking, God, that you could do what only you could do, God, and that's lift the head of the weary, open the eyes of the blind, bring healing to the sick, God. Come and proclaim the year of your favor in this place, God, because if we come and your presence isn't here, God, we're just kind of putting on a show, but we know that you come and you, we know that you want to change us. And so, God, we just, we're just here and we say we're available. We're looking forward to hearing from you. God, as a community, we believe in faith that we're going to hear from you tonight, and, and we look forward to being changed and to never being the same. And so we love you so much, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, question for you guys. How many people have played the game, who is your celebrity crush? It's very simple. These are the rules. You literally look at somebody and ask them who their celebrity crush is. <laughs> that simple. How many guys in here are secure enough in their masculinity to admit that they faithfully and religiously watched every single episode of Lizzie McGuire growing up? Anybody? There are so many liars in here, it's undeniable. 
Who's your celebrity crush? Growing up, um, my celebrity crush was Lizzie McGuire. And does anybody remember? Okay, there we go. <laughs> does anybody remember that episode where Aaron Carter kissed her? Like, yeah. I made like a blood oath that if I ever saw that guy in public, it would be a dark day for Aaron Carter. No, but, but growing up as a kid, I had this crush on Lizzie McGuire. And honestly, embarrassingly to admit, it was a little bit more of a crush like, than a crush. I, like, I would like pray and like believe in faith that like, God would let me meet this girl one day. Like, I had it all mapped out in my head. Like, I, I literally would pray that God would bring this to pass. I, I prayed that we would meet, that we would fall in love, that we would get married, and that she would be a movie star, and that I would play in the NFL and be the greatest wide receiver in the history of the NFL. I'd win multiple Lombardi trophies for the Vikings. I would win seven MVPs in a row, because that's the number of completion, and that's about the time that I would need to pass it off and let somebody else borrow it for a little bit. But for real, like I had put legitimate thought into meeting Lizzie McGuire. And I want to preface this story by saying, and I mean this with all my heart, I am very happily married. I have married, <laughs> you're like, yeah, he's got to say that now. No, no. no, I am very happily married. I, I married the, the woman of my dreams. Her name is Erin. She's the most beautiful girl walking on the planet. Um, I honestly believe that God brought us together because just the way we complement each other is amazing. My strengths complement her weaknesses. Her strengths complement my weaknesses. She is the love of my life. But in eighth grade, I didn't know Aaron existed. And so Lizzie McGuire was my jam. And I would like pray to meet her. And I promise you, um, after prayer and fasting and partitioning the Lord and, and and knocking relentlessly at the door of prayer and putting every ounce of 13-year-old faith I had, one fateful day, I got my opportunity to meet Lizzie McGuire. Let me tell you how this worked. I grew up in uh, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, and it's just a short little drive from New York, a couple hours. But, um, and every once in a while, my family and I would frequent New York City, and so we planned as a family to go to the ball dropping on New Year's Eve in New York. If you've never done that, good for you, because it is terrible. It, it, it seriously, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing to kind of do. You wait in line for forever. McDonald's charges you $40 to use their bathroom. Like, I'm not kidding. It, it, it is a do it once, and you are totally fine if you have to do it at all sort of thing. But we didn't know that at the time. And this just so happened to be the year, call it fate, call it sovereignty, whatever you want, that Lizzie McGuire, Hillary Duff, was performing in New York City for the New Year's Eve ball dropping. And so as fate would have it, my mom, she's a public school teacher, she taught a student that eventually became the head makeup artist for MTV at the time. And so my mom called her and was like, hey, we're coming up to New York, and my son is like, has this really awkwardly weird crush on <laughs> Lizzie McGuire, and I think she's going to be up in New York. Is there any chance that you can set up like a meeting between my awkward son and this celebrity? She's like, absolutely. Like, I, like yeah, why don't you, all of you guys come back? Like, you can come backstage. You can watch the ball drop from that little corner window that MTV had. Like, everything was going to plan. And let me tell you, seriously, this is when I knew more than ever that my God was for me and he was not against me. <laughs> and that if I had the faith the size of a, of a mustard seed, I could move a mountain. God had responded to my faith 
and he had answered my prayer. And so fast forward after this conversation, it is New Year's Eve. We are loading up in the car. We're getting ready to head off to New York City, and I am putting on the best outfit I have, which at the time was my all-white high-top Air Force Ones, my Randy Moss jersey, and my chain. I wish I was lying to you, (laughs) but I'm not. I said, what more would impress Lizzie McGuire than my Moss jersey and my high-top Air Force One? So I was looking dapper that day. And we got in the car, and we're driving up to New York, and literally, like, I am praying, and, like, I think I fasted McDonald's, like, on the way for breakfast. Like, I am like, this is going to happen. God, like, you did me one solid. You hooked me up. I'm going to meet this girl. Like, do me another solid, and, and let all my weird 13-year-old prayers, like, come true, okay? Like, the, the mansion, the football, marrying each other, like, whatever. Like, I am ready for this moment. And we get to New York and we see all the sights and we are experiencing everything that New York has to offer. And the lady told us that she would call us when we were allowed to come back upstage, backstage. And so I am like watching my mom's cell phone like faithfully, like waiting for that thing to ring. And I think we got dinner and we were kind of like, oh, is she going to call? Is she not going to call? And then my mom's phone rings and my heart stops beating. And I don't know what to do because I'm seconds away from meeting this girl that I watch on TV and had this weird crush on. And, and everything I've had faith towards up to this point in my life is about to come to fruition. And my mom gets on the phone and she's like, hey, okay, yeah, sounds great, yeah, sounds good, okay, okay, yeah, sure, sure. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, please like hurry up and let's like get this started and then she hangs up the phone and she looks at me and she goes hey honey um we can't go backstage because you have to be 21 and they're serving some of the devil's juice and uh you're not going to be allowed to be back there because you're only 13 i am so sorry and i just remember standing near times square thinking like what not 21 like that is mtv's excuse like do they not know that age ain't nothing but a number like come on this is lizzie mcguire i'm talking about and also by the way do they know they are turning down a future nfl hall of famer that is their loss like i was devastated and i never got to meet lizzie mcguire and i married up so it worked out for me But like the point of that story was at 13, it's comical what what I kind of put my faith in. Uh, It's funny. That story's funny because the object of my faith had such a, just a ton of immaturity attached to it. Like I was the sole beneficiary. I was the, the sole benefactor of my own faith. Um, and as I was thinking about this concept that we're going to talk about tonight, it, it, it made me wonder, as a 13-year-old, man, I had faith for myself. But if I'm being honest, if I take the time to evaluate the things in my life um, that I am putting my faith towards, while my request to God might have matured in the sense that I'm not asking to marry a, a, a TV star or whatever, um, a lot of the focus of my faith, a lot of the focus of the things that I'm asking God for revolve and center still around me. And so tonight, as a community, I want to challenge us together to stretch our faith, perhaps stretch our perspective on what we think about faith and the mission of our faith and the point of our faith. And so if you're taking notes tonight, and I'm judging you if you're not, but if you're taking notes tonight, you need these to get into heaven. The title of this message is When He Saw Their Faith. 
when he saw their faith. And if you're type A and you want a subtitle and bonus points and a better seat at the supper in heaven, uh, subtitle is this, having faith for others. When he saw their faith, having faith for others. And I want to go to a story that's found in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, and this is probably a very familiar story, and I read this story all the time. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, but something new jumped out to me, and it has honestly challenged my thinking over the past couple months. And so Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17, it's going to be up on the screens. Here we go. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was on him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in. Because of the crowds, they went up to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And this got the Pharisees all up in an uproar. And they said, who is speaking these blasphemies? Who can can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus did this Jedi mind trick and was like, I know what you're thinking. And he answered them and said, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you because there's no evidence of that happening. Or rise and walk. It's harder to say rise and walk because the guy's got to do it. But that you may know that I am the Son of Man has authority on this earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. And I want to zero in on something here. I want to zero in on verse 20 where it says, When he, Jesus, saw their faith, whose faith? The faith of the men bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus. When he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven, he responded. Jesus moved in the life of the paralyzed man based off of the faith of these random guys that brought him to Jesus. I wonder what this world would look like if there were some Christians that were willing to kind of change the focal point of their faith off of themselves, maybe off of some selfish requests, and put their faith into action towards somebody else. I wonder if there are some people in here tonight that believe that our God is so good, that he is so loving, that he is so merciful, that he has called us to put our faith into action for another person. What kind of faith does it take for Jesus to respond? on behalf of somebody else. And as I was reading this story, I had to ask myself a question and have an honest moment um, and put myself in this story. And I was thinking, would I have been a person that would have been willing enough to have my comfort inconvenienced and put my faith into motion for somebody else to kneel down and pick up a mat and help carry somebody to Jesus? Would I I be willing in this story, would I have been one of those guys that carried this man to Jesus or would it have just been a little bit too much of an inconvenience for me? Because here is the reality of this situation and write this down if you're taking notes. The casualty of radical faith for others is always going to be personal comfort. I'm gonna say that again. The casualty, what has to die In your life, if you want to have radical faith that evokes a response from Jesus on behalf of somebody else, the casualty of radical faith for others always has to be personal 
comfort. It's so easy to fall into the trap of, God, I'm believing for things for me. God, I'm believing, I have faith for me. God, give me a promotion. Give me a bigger platform. Give me a bigger salary, whatever. And and when we think about asking this, what we really think is that to some degree, we're going to find a greater fulfillment if God actually answers those requests that we're believing for by faith. But isn't this crazy? We live in a generation of like self-help and, and, and all this stuff. And I think it's kind of leaked into like the Christian world of like, well, God, like more for me, more for me. Uh, we think that kind of prayer life or whatever is going to lead to more fulfillment, but we've never experienced more like bored Christians like in our life. Like we live in a time of just total bored Christians. We have so many Christians that are so bored and they walk around missionless and and they walk around wondering what is their purpose in life? Like what is their purpose with this whole Christianity thing? Like is, is this faith literally supposed to be so dull because I read stuff in the Bible but it doesn't really match up to what I'm experiencing. And let me ask, if you are bored of Christianity tonight, maybe it's because... You were never intended to be the focal point of your faith. Maybe you were never intended to be the focal point of your faith. Like imagine if Jesus, all of his miracles were literally centrally focused on him. Imagine if Jesus's faith was only for himself. If he's walking down the road and and there's a lame man laying on the side of the road and he's like, Jesus, will you heal me? And he's like, I would love to, but I'm believing for God to remove this splinter from my foot. So I I can't right now. I, I can't really focus on you. Or what if that little boy that brought his fish and his bread to Jesus and was like, hey, multiply this and feed all these people that have come to hear you teach and he's like all right and he like multiplies it just enough for himself to be full and then he's like okay I can continue teaching I don't know what these other people are going to do we sit at our desks we sit in our beds whatever we, we we go to work we read about Jesus walking around doing miracles meeting people's needs, putting his faith into action for other people. We read about the apostles who go into cities and start churches and shake the foundations of what these cities knew. They change economies. They they cause riots. And, And we sit there and we read our Bibles and we flip the pages and we wonder, why am I not experiencing this kind of Christianity in my life? And I want to tell you tonight, if you're in here, and you feel bored with your faith, chances are you've allowed yourself to get comfortable. Chances are you've allowed yourself to to trade that radical faith for personal comfort. And can I just be honest? Like, Like moment of total honesty, I am so tired of trying to be comfortable. All the time, my wife and I were talking about, man, like we, we need another car. We need a nicer car. We'd love to buy a home, like all these things. And we're believing for these things. And please hear me when I say this. It is not wrong to believe for a nicer car or a new house or something for yourself. But when that is the, so, the, the, the central focal point of what you go to God towards, I literally think you're, the picture is incomplete, like by a lot. Our faith was made to be put in motion for somebody else. I don't want comfort. Comfort's overrated. Comfort's an illusion. It's not real. Comfort isn't real. There's always going to be something more. You never know what's right down the road. I'm tired of living a life of comfortable Christianity. 
Always asking God for more for me. God, I need more of this. God, I need more of that. I need a bigger platform. I need, I need a raise at my job. I need this. I need that. God, I, I, I'm tired of me. Like what an empty and lonely life if God answered all those prayers and I was the only one that benefited from them. What an empty and lonely life. Like, and, and if you're a theology major in here, don't quote me on this because I, I, this is just kind of like what I see in heaven. But I just imagine standing in heaven when my life is over, standing before Jesus and, and having kind of nothing there and, and him just saying like, yeah, you prayed a lot for a new car and you prayed a lot for a bigger platform and you prayed a lot to start a church and even, even some good things. And I stand there in front of Jesus and I've got nobody behind me. I've got no stories behind me. I've got no people that I actually impacted. And he's like, you, you ran a race. You know, you made it to heaven, but your faith was all about you. You didn't put your faith in motion and in action for somebody else. And, and a lot of us, a lot of us, myself included, a lot of us kind of know the right Christian vocabulary, like we know the right things to say to like make it seem like our faith is engaging in, in emotion for somebody else when really we're just trying to feel comfortable. One of the most um, easy things that we can say when it comes to dealing with somebody's mess or inconveniencing our comfort for radical faith is this, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. I'm believing for you. I'm praying for you. Yeah, man, my, my parents are going through it. I'm believing for you. I'm praying for you. And listen, prayer is one of the most powerful and amazing things we as Christians get to do. But prayer was never made or intended for us to stand at arm's distance from people's problems. When we read in that story, Jesus didn't respond to these people's prayer for their friends. And I'm sure they prayed for him. When we read in that story, Jesus didn't say, I heard your prayer. I'm going to heal this guy. What did he say? He said, because of your faith, he saw their faith and he reached out and he healed them. And let me say, prayer is a precursor for interaction. Prayer is always a precursor for interaction. We can pray till we're blue in the face, but there comes a time where our faith needs to come in motion for somebody else, and we need to come along somebody else, and we need to pick up somebody else's mat and say, I'm going to get you to Jesus no matter what it costs. Jesus didn't respond to these people's prayers. He responded to their faith. Verse 20 said, when he saw their faith, well, then the obvious question is this. The obvious question is, well, what, what is faith? What is a faith that Jesus will respond to on behalf of another person? Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance or the substance of something that we hope for. It is a conviction of the things we do not see. A faith that, revokes, that evokes a response from Jesus on behalf of somebody else. There's two elements. It's this, substance and conviction substance and conviction. When was the last time you had a conviction about something? A conviction is this deep, undying belief in your heart that you are willing to take a bullet for. Like, I have a conviction that I am to faithfully and honestly love my wife and treat her different than any other woman I ever come in contact with for the rest of my life. I have a conviction deep in my heart that to judge another person's potential intelligence or character based off the color of their skin is a sin from the pit of hell. Racism is not a social issue. It is a sin issue. We need to have some conviction. Since when as Christians did we lose our conviction? 
We have the greatest news in the entire world that we have a God who loved us so much that he came to earth and died for us. When did we lose our conviction? What did we let back us down? A faith that will evoke a response from Jesus on behalf of somebody else is a faith full of conviction. When did it become an option to be evangelistic? When when did evangelism become an option and not a lifestyle? And there are people in here, and and I used to be like this, so no judgment, but there are people in here that are saying, well, I'm I'm just not anointed as an evangelist, so it is not in my strength to share my faith. I took a spiritual gifts test that was free online, and it said that I am more of a pastor, and I am more of a church critic, and so I I don't share my faith. It's not in one of my strengths. I'm not anointed for that. Like, anointed? Who needs to be anointed? Let me tell you something about anointing. Anointing, back in the Old Testament, they would find a person that God has chosen and they would pour oil over them, signifying that the Holy Spirit rested on this person. It rested on them. If you are a Christian today and you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit does not rest on you. He lives inside of you. You have all the anointing you're ever going to need. Since when did we need somebody to anoint us or appoint us to carry the greatest message in the entire world to any and every single person that we can find? Guys, we need to get our conviction back. We need to believe that this really is the best news we've ever heard in our entire life. A faith that will evoke a response from Jesus on behalf of somebody else that has conviction and it also has substance. And what was the substance of these men's faith that we read about in Luke chapter 5? It was simply this. They were willing to do whatever they needed to do to get this person to Jesus. They didn't know the results. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know who Jesus was. All they knew was that he had been healing people in other towns. What was the substance of their faith that Jesus responded to? It was this. They were willing to carry a paralyzed person, which was probably a very embarrassing moment for this person. They were willing to carry their friend to a house that was way too crowded to get into the front door. And so I'm sure not trying to draw too much attention to themselves. And and to make matters worse, it was way too crowded. And so they had such a conviction that maybe Jesus, maybe it was Jesus. Maybe he can be our hope. Maybe he can help us. Maybe Jesus, they had such a conviction that they were willing to get on top of a stranger's roof, literally dig a hole, lower this man, in front of Jesus with absolutely no guarantee of what was going to happen. What was the substance of these people's faith? Jesus responds to conviction and he responds to substance, a faith that carries a conviction and a faith that has a substance. The substance was simply this. These guys were willing to do whatever they needed to do to get their friend in front of Jesus. And, And reading this story, You know, I always tend to like idolize and make these moments so heroic. But again, these guys had zero guarantee that anything was going to happen. All they knew is what Jesus was going around healing people and maybe he could be some hope. They had absolutely zero guarantee there was going to be healing. They had absolutely zero guarantee Jesus was going to respond. I'm sure the guy who owned the house wasn't too pumped about this situation, but they had zero guarantee of anything. And I'm convinced that partnered, partnered with this, this desire for comfort, this desire to use our faith to benefit us. 
I'm convinced that partnered with, with comfort, the strongest inhibiting factor in having radical faith that will affect somebody else is this, the fear of results. The fear of results. Because anytime we feel that prompting in our heart to share with somebody, don't we always play the what if game? Hey, what if I go up to this person and invite them to church and they look at me like I'm a total idiot? Like, hey, what if I invite my family member for the umpteenth time to come to church and they finally just lose it? I mean, this whole Jesus thing is already kind of causing some stress in my home. Like, what if I bring this up one more time and it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like, what if I reach out in faith and I pray for my friend who's been sick and they don't get better? What if I reach out in faith and I believe for my friend who's depressed and, and contemplating suicide and, and they don't start feeling better? Like, what if I do something? What if I put my faith into motion for somebody else and I don't get the results I was hoping for? And Ben, you guys can make your way back up. Before I moved out to Colorado, I graduated from college and I moved back to Virginia. Um, I lived there for about a year saving up money to move out here and to help start a church. And I was working a bunch of different jobs. And uh, one of the jobs that I was working is I was a server at the Alamo Draft House, same, same thing that uh, you guys have over down here in Littleton. And um, I was literally, and, I, and I'm not saying this to, I don't know, make anybody feel bad there, but I was one of two Christians, I believe, and about a staff of like 30 people. And I, I had just felt this call to like go and start a church. And I, I feel like God's got a plan for my life. And so I am very, very open about what I believe about Jesus. I'm very open there. I, I'm advocating Jesus. I'm advocating the church. And these people were equally open and, and equally um, pushing back on how they thought that was the dumbest thing in the entire world. I would tell people, hey, I'm trying to be a pastor. And the first thing they would say is, so you don't ever want to have sex? Like, I'm like, no, that, nope, that's not in the equation. Um, <laughs> But it was so funny because I, I would talk to these people about Jesus and there was this one girl in particular who for whatever reason we just kind of like went back and forth and not in a bad way but like she would come in and she'd be like you never guess what I did Friday like and oh my gosh how much I could drink on like Saturday and she would try to like get a reaction out of me and I'd be like you have no idea like how good God is like he literally answered this prayer like my uncle like was sick and he healed him and like because here's the thing like God's goodness is just always so much cooler and so much better than what anybody else can like throw in your face and so at first we were almost trying to like shock each other with like God's goodness versus like what, how hard she could party and like all this stuff. But it was very apparent and she made it very well known that she did not believe a single thing that I believed, like just, ad, just advocated for not believing. And um, ironically, through these kind of conversations, we actually started having normal conversations and, and we stopped trying to one-up one another and it just kind of led to her asking me questions like, hey, why do you believe like what you actually believe? Like you, you'd literally be willing to like give your life to like start a church and, and all this stuff. Like why, why do you believe that? And I would, you know, ask her, why do you not believe? Like do you really believe that in all of the universe, like in all the unknowns, there's not a chance that there's a God out there that knows your name and that loves you and like cares for you? And we had these conversations, but she was just very, um, very passionate about not believing in God. And one day, uh, as, as we're getting ready for work, or as, as I'm getting into work, I see her and she walks up to me and she's got tears in her eyes. And she comes up to me and she's crying and she's like, hey, Connor, um, 
I got this news that my mom, she's in the hospital, and she has uh, cancer. They found out that she has cancer, and uh, it's bad, and it's in the later stages. And um, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in anything that you believe. My mom is not a Christian. She does not believe in Jesus. But you just kind of have this, like, faith that, like, could you come to the hospital and pray for my mom? And I remember, like, my heart just, like, broke in that moment. And it was, like, the next day, and I get in my car, and I don't know why I remember it was, like, snowing. And, and I'm on my way to the hospital, and I'm just praying, God, what an amazing opportunity for you to show this woman that you know who she is. This, this goes so far beyond healing a sickness and, and doing like a cool miracle. God, you could show this woman that you're real. You could show her and your daughter, that, that her daughter, that you're real and they could come to know you and you could show that, that you are so loving. God, would you move in this woman's life today? And I'm praying all this and I get to the hospital and she shows me her mom's room and I get in there and she's like, hey, this is Connor, mom. I, I work with him. I think he's a pastor or something like that, but uh, he just, he, I, he wants to come in and he said he would pray for you. And literally she was like, I don't need prayer. I don't believe in that. Like, I don't know why you brought him. I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't want him to pray for me. And so I was like, sick, like, this is awkward. Like, um, but I just kind of ended up hanging out in the hospital room for a little bit and uh, kind of talked to her, got to know her, broke down some walls. And I remember she said, hey, I don't believe in anything that you believe. Um, but if you want to pray for me, if that would make you feel better about like you, um, you can do that. And so I was, I literally prayed, and I prayed the hardest prayer I knew how to pray. I, I literally, if, if you can muster faith within yourself, I went bankrupt in this moment. And I was just like, God, you love this woman so much that you can heal her body right now on the spot, and she can know that you love her and that you care about her and that you know her name and you want to save her. God, would you save her? Would you heal her? Would you show her how much you care? And I went home, I hung out for about 15 minutes more and I, I went home and it's like a week later and she, girl comes back to work with tears in her eyes and she said, my mom passed away. My mom didn't make it, she passed away. And I remember sitting there thinking like, God, what are you doing? Like I put myself on the line, I've been working here for like six months, all I talk about is how good Jesus is. All I talk about is how faithful God is, how loving God is. God, this wasn't even about like a healing. This wasn't even about like some supernatural, that you could have shown this woman who you were. You could have shown her daughter how good you were. God, what is going on? And I'll never forget, God, after, after a couple days of wrestling with God, he put this verse in my heart, and this is why I'm so passionate uh, about this subject. Hebrews 11, chapter six, or verse six, it says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God has to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That word rewards, it makes it sound like he'll, he'll uh, literally reward you for doing something good. It's actually better translated response. The better translation of that word is response. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever wants to draw near to him has to believe that he's real and that he responds to those who seek him. And in that moment, I learned something that's been so critical to my faith. It's given me a boldness that I've carried with me ever since I, I talked to that girl about why her mom didn't make it. And Jesus said this, 
you might not get the results you're looking for. I haven't called you to manufacture results, but trust me, when you put your faith into motion for somebody else, I am always responding. I am always responding. See, a lot of times we put our faith in a particular result, but God is always responding. And we might not know why he responds in a certain way until we're on the other side of heaven. We might never know. But when you put your faith, when you decide to have radical faith that impacts other people, that evokes a response from Jesus on behalf of somebody else, God will always respond, no matter what the result is. And if I'm being honest, this was a very sort of pivotal moment in my faith. It really kind of shook me because I was like, God, this is a setup for you to show off like, why didn't, why didn't this happen? And then I started to kind of think about this. Why would this girl in my work who like adamantly does not believe in Jesus, is outspokenly against Jesus in the church, why would she come to me and ask me to pray for her mom? It was hope. She was looking for hope. Can I tell you, the world that we live in is looking for hope. They might not know. People might know they need Jesus. They not, might not know that they need Jesus. But what they do know is that they need hope. And let me tell you something. The bridge of our radical faith to impact other people that will evoke a response from Jesus, the bridge of our faith is hope. It's hope. Do you think in that story in Luke, the guys brought their friend, their paralytic friend to Jesus because they thought, okay, we're about to encounter the God of the universe and he's gonna get our friend and he's gonna forgive him of all of his sins and he's gonna wash him white as snow and he's gonna get heaven forever. And, and it, 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 no, they brought their friend to Jesus because all they were looking for was something to hope for. They needed hope. Hope is why they brought their friend to Jesus. We like talk to people about Jesus and we wonder why like calling them a sinner is not appealing. But you know what every single person in the world needs? The universal language of the soul is hope. Hope. That's why Jesus is called the hope of the world. He is our hope. The gospel literally means good news. Translation. There is hope. Are you in here tonight and you're hurting? Are you wrestling with the sickness? There's hope. There's hope. Are you in here tonight and you wrestle with depression? Guess what? There's hope. Do you not know Jesus and you feel like you have zero purpose on this planet? There's hope. Jesus is hope. And Christian, could we get a conviction that we have a hope that runs so deep it surpasses death, hell, and the grave? We have a hope who is seated at the right hand of God Almighty, making intercession for us always in the presence of God. We have a hope that the world needs. He's our hope. We're called to peddle hope. If you're in here tonight, maybe you walked in here tonight and you don't care about Jesus at all. That's okay. That's seriously okay. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like, I don't know about this whole, this, this sinner thing, I don't, whatever, heaven, like maybe that's real, maybe that's not, whatever. But if you're in here tonight, and man, maybe you just came because you're looking for something to hope for. You need something to put your hope in. Can I tell you, Jesus, he's that hope. Jesus is your hope. 
I want to invite you to let him be that hope in your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you came in here tonight, and you're just like, man, if I'm being honest, I'm hopeless. I don't have any hope. I have a hope for you that surpasses all understanding. And right now, literally, you might be experiencing it right now. You might be sitting in your chair and your heart is beating out of control and you've got all these thoughts rushing in your head. Seriously, you are having a physical response to a supernatural moment. Jesus is knocking on your heart saying, hey, you came in looking for hope. I'm your hope. I'm your hope. I literally am your hope. I don't know what you came in here for. You came in with a sickness. I'm your hope. You came in here depressed or without a purpose. I'm your hope. If you came in here tonight looking for something to hope for, I'm telling you it's Jesus. So on the count of three, I'm asking you, if you need something to hope for, would you raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you to be my hope. I want you to be my hope on the count of three. One, Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. Two, the Bible says that now is the time of salvation. Do not wait. Three, if you want Jesus to be the hope of your life, would you raise your hand? He's got hope everlasting. Let's give it up, guys. Thank you so much. And Christian, if you're in here tonight and you say, dude, I'm bored. If I'm being honest, I've let myself get a little comfortable. If if I'm being honest, I've been playing it safe and I, I traded radical faith for other people for comfort. I believe for me all the time, if you need a fire in your heart that just reminds you that Jesus is the hope of the world and he is the bridge, hope is the bridge that this world needs and it is only found in Jesus. If, If you can have an honest moment and say, dude, I think I've lost my fire, but I want it back. I am promising you tonight, Jesus is waiting. The Holy Spirit is waiting to come in and reignite that fire and, and help you spread the news of the, the greatest news in the world. So if you would like for me to pray for you and say, God, I need some new fire. God, I need some conviction to my life that this is the greatest news in the world. Would you please raise your hand? I want to pray for you. It's time we start living with conviction because the world is dying and we have the greatest news ever. If you need some fire, if you need some conviction, keep your hand up. I want to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, I pray right now for every single person that raised their hand to accept you. Maybe they came in here and they have no idea what being a Christian means, but they just need hope. Jesus, would you be their hope? Would you literally blow away their expectations and for every single person in here tonight, myself included, that said, God, my fire's running low for whatever reason. I've, I've taken advantage of this, of this message. I, I've decided to be comfortable instead of radical. I need a new fire in my heart for you. Would you help me fall in love with this hope that I have in you and take it to every single person I come in contact with? God, would you reignite a fire in our heart? for you, to tell people about you, to share the hope we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.